Today's show comes to you thanks to Ofakind, an online shop for emerging design. For more information, visit ofakind.com. I'm Greg Bresnitz. And I'm Darren Bresnitz. We're the host of Snacky Tunes. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hi, and welcome to After the Jump. I'm your host, Grace Bonney, and today we're coming to you live from Roberto's in Bushwick, Brooklyn. You can listen to After the Jump live every Wednesday at 1 p.m. on heritageradionetwork.org or download the podcast on iTunes anytime. This episode and next week's episodes are the last shows before I head out for a quick summer break. So as I bring this part of the season to a close, I want to focus on some other big picture ideas that lend themselves to the sort of open-ended thinking, brainstorming, and planning that I feel is best done on a vacation break. So today's show is all about inspiration, not just where to find it, but how to use sources of inspiration to advance your business, your life, and set yourself apart from the pack. I'm extremely happy to be joined today by one of my favorite designers who knows a thing or two about finding inspiration in unexpected places, designer Katie Deedy of Grow House Grow. Hi, Katie. Hello. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for coming down today. Um, Katie founded her company, Grow House Grow, which produces beautiful wallpaper, fabric, and tile designs back in 2008. And since then, she's produced six wallpaper collections, four fabric collections, and three tile collections, along with creative collaborations with Jack White's Third Man Records uh, and the New York City Mac institution known as TechServe. I first remember seeing Katie back um, at Brooklyn Designs in 2010, which is our borough's design trade show, when I was blown away most by the inspiration for her wallpaper series, The Naturalist Collection, which was inspired by several long-forgotten women of science, like naturalist Mary Treat, microscope specialist Mary Ward, and John Vilpro Powers, who invented the world's first aquariums. In a time when wallpaper collections were inspired by trendy color palettes and shiny mylar papers of the 70s, Katie was doing something completely different, and she was doing it really well. So Katie, I want to get into that first collection a little bit, but let's back up a little and talk about how you got started. Um, What did you study in school and what inspired you to start a wallpaper company? Um, In school, I went to a women's college in Atlanta that was kind of small called Agnes Scott College. I'm wearing my class ring right now. Very proud (laughs) of it. Um, And so my degree was kind of an umbrella degree in studio art. Um, And from there, I took a focus in illustration and I I went that direction because my mom is a professional storyteller and children's book author. So when I was growing up, I had books everywhere. I was going to storytelling festivals. My mom, you know, we would sneak into like abandoned train stations and she'd tell stories. We had like a pretty fun... That's incredible. (laughs) A pretty fun childhood. So I think all of that fed into my desire for narrative in my artwork. Um, For that same reason, I would go to a museum and I would see modern art or contemporary art and say, well, it's really pretty, but like, what's the story? Like, why did they make this? So um, I took illustration, you know, with that kind of story element with the art as a direction I wanted to take and moved to New York to pursue freelance work. And I hated it. (laughs) (laughs) I really, I really just found fulfilling someone else's creative image seriously uninspiring. Um, And so the way that I kind of discovered wallpaper um I was uh I had taken a few of my drawings I guess like some illustrations I had done and I'd scanned them into photoshop and I was messing around with them and I'd accidentally mirrored two of them and I'm thinking like wow that looks really good that's kind of a pattern and then I realized for the first time in my life which is completely ridiculous because I was like 24 that I loved pattern (laughs) (laughs) it's like how do you go your whole life and not realize this is your passion 
but I felt this big light bulb like over my head. It was it was the cartoon light bulb. It really hit me. And so I thought, well, what can I put pattern on? I was like, wallpaper. And then I was like, how in the world do you make wallpaper? <laughs> um, so from there, it took me um, two to three years to put out my first line because I knew nothing about wallpaper. How did you start? Well, I mean, back up a little bit. How did you even start learning pattern stuff? I mean, we've posted like pattern tutorials on mm-hmm. our blog before and people love it, but I think it's so much more difficult than I think people realize. It is. It's really hard. And my background is not in pattern making, which is kind of a... Um, Maybe it allowed me to pursue it without restraint, without sort of a history of understanding how it technically works. So I would take design elements and illustrations that I would make and I would put them into Illustrator and in the beginning just tediously line everything up until I learned all the shortcuts. (laughs) But it was super tedious. And um, really it just, I sat down with my brain and I thought it out, but it took years. Um, there are easier ways to do it. But I think that that just proves anyone can make a pattern if they want to and if they're so inclined. What makes a good pattern to you? Mm. I see a lot of bad ones out Mm. there. (laughs) What separates the good from the bad for you? You know, the number one thing for me is whenever I see a wallpaper or a pattern somewhere, the one thing that immediately strikes me is whether I feel like it's handmade or not. And, I, and it's not because I think handmade's always better. It's just I feel like there's more intent in something handmade and you can see someone sat and thought it out instead of just drawing a circle and then repeating it a hundred times. And polka dots are awesome. So I, I don't want to hate on the polka dot, but, you know, patterns where you can tell someone really spent time with it to make it nice. Mm-hmm. I think that's the, the real disconnect for me right now with a lot of the stuff we're seeing in the design communities. You can feel the like digitized mm-hmm. elements of it that feel like it was a computer program that yeah. came up with that pattern. And for some people, I know that look is exactly what they're going for. But I think your history and storytelling combined with our overall community's love for like being able to see the hand in something makes those sort of hand printed papers look so much different. Yeah. And, you know, I just did ICFF at Javits Center, which is um, the International Contemporary Furniture Fair for listeners who are unfamiliar and there are a lot of wallpaper designers that show there and for the most part I really I think this year was really strong and there's some beautiful stuff but I can tell I mean I can walk by a booth and in two seconds say oh man why didn't they just spend five extra minutes making this theirs making this like something beautiful instead of saying like oh this will sell this is a nice color. (laughs) (laughs) Um, When you were starting the business, did you sort of go through any education process with that? Did you take any classes or did you just throw yourself in? Um, I kind of threw myself in and then because I'm a total maniac and I want to do everything myself (laughs) and I want to know how everything works, um, I spent a lot of time learning how to silk screen because in in the beginning I was screening the wallpapers myself, which was a crazy crazy idea. (laughs) Where were you screening wallpapers by yourself? I had a tiny little studio up on Morgan and Grand that I was sharing with somebody. It it didn't, let's just say it did not work out. It was, (laughs) I was not meant to be a silk screen printer. (laughs) Um, But I, but I did learn how to silk screen print and it really helped me understand why it was important to take this route. And um, so that's the biggest thing I did. And other than that, I just did lots of research on, on wallpaper history, patterns from around the world, tried to figure out, you know, I did lots of mind maps, which I think is um, very helpful when you, when you think you have an idea, but you don't know where to go with it, is you basically take a word, let's just use the beach since it's summer and we're all going <laughs> on vacation. And you just write beach in the middle of a piece of paper. 
and then off of beach you write all the words that remind you of the beach so like sand water salt and then you pick one of those words and you keep going off so salt you can say himalayas you know and all of a sudden you have the himalayas with the beach and, and it just makes your mind think differently about you know a problem or a design you're working on that's a great i wish more people would do things like that um, it's so simple <laughs> It's, and I, I do it from like a business perspective sometimes, but I guess I haven't even thought about doing it from that perspective. And that's such a great way to expand a collection and explain sometimes how I think you have always got such interesting objects that are part of your patterns that are all related. Um, like I'm thinking of your like Coney Island pattern with the monkeys and yeah. the stripes. I always love the juxtaposition of like beach and monkeys. <laughs> There's just something so dang adorable about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, let's talk about inspiration since we're already diving into patterns. Um, you, the collection we were talking about before, the Naturals collection, which was inspired by sort of these great women um, in science. How did you even get to that jumping off point? Wow. Well, you know, the first the, the first thing with that collection that I kind of had in mind is I just was really wanting to do something with carnivorous plants. And so it wasn't necessarily the women in science that attracted me at first, but I, you know, it's like, you know, when I was a kid, I had a Venus flytrap and I wanted to make a wallpaper that had some kind of carnivorous plants in it. So I was like, where in the world do I start? So I spent tons of time researching carnivorous plants and I was reading Cabinet Magazine, which is based here in Brooklyn. They're amazing. So if you want to, if you want some good reading, you got to go. And they have these great talks too. Um, So I picked up a Cabinet Magazine and there was an article about a woman named Mary Treat. And Mary Treat was a naturalist of the late 1800s who lived in New Jersey in a town called Vineland. And she was pretty forward-thinking for her time. Um, She had divorced her husband. Vineland was kind of like a free-loving, kind of open-minded town. And she surrounded her home with these carnivorous plants. She was obsessed with them. And she would go out into the Pinelands and collect these different kinds of um, utricularia plant. I'm certain I've butchered that (laughs) name but um but studied on you know why do these plants automatically close for example when a bug touches them or how do they digest the bugs things like that and she devoted her life's work to it and she actually also influenced Darwin with some of his work They, they corresponded a lot through letters and so I was like wow this is perfect this is the coolest lady I'm totally I mean like I went to women's college come on like this is like right in my alley and um so I, I developed a pattern for her that had these uh, pitcher plants and Venus flytraps and hidden little ants that um, represented this particular ant species she also discovered. And I wanted the pattern to be modern, but also reflect something that could be in her home in the late 1800s. And I got so into her that I thought, ah, I've got to do a whole line on, on women scientists because, you know, in that process, I found another woman named Mary Ward, who I also did a pattern for. And from there, it's, it's all, I mean, these women came out of the woodwork. Like, you know, days on Google will show you some pretty interesting stuff. I had too many women. I have women I want to do patterns for, like, you know, four years late. How many years? Four years late or something like that. <laughs> that's it's, wonderful. It's I really that's fun. So, it's so much better than, like, I, I've met with so many sort of interesting large-scale wallpaper companies before who use, like, those trend books that mm-hmm. you can buy that are, like, thousands and thousands of dollars that tell you what, what the trend is going to be, what the color forecasts are going to be for, like, years four, which are fascinating, wonderful tools. But that's what guides the majority right. of those collections. And I remember seeing your collection and just staring at it and being like, where did this come from? It's wonderful. There's nothing else like that. Um, and I felt the same way about the collection that you just released, um, which is about sister cities, mm-hmm. uh, which I've always been like weirdly geeked out about as a concept, because especially the cities that have like absolutely no connection to each other 
at all that are somehow sister cities and what they have in common, what they don't have in common. How did you come up with the idea of sister cities as the, the new theme? Honestly, I just came across the concept of sister cities in my various researches. I mean, I spend more time online and in libraries and reading books than you'd imagine. Well, not as much as I had my daughter, but it's a passion. <laughs> and I know lots of weird stuff. So, um, you know, when I, it kind of just hit me and clicked one day. I don't know. It, it just sort of had been sitting in my mind. I had maybe, I had made some notes about sister cities a few years ago and I was going through an old notebook and I started marinating and it's like, yeah, why don't I just come on? It's just like, what a, what a great challenge to try and make wallpaper patterns that reflect two completely different cities, oftentimes on totally opposite sides of the world that have elected to have a relationship for the heck of it. Like, you know, I mean, it can be for educational purposes, historical trade relations, things like that. But, you know, one of the patterns is for um, Stockholm, Sweden and La Paz, Bolivia. Like, why in the world are they pals? <laughs> Fun vacation destinations. <laughs> I am. Well, I will make it in my life's work to visit all the towns that I have included in my Sister Cities collection. <laughs> and so how did you, look, looking at La Paz and looking at Stockholm, what design elements did you include for both of them that came up with the overall pattern? Well, Stockholm was pretty easy because Scandinavian design is just unbelievable. Historically, contemporary. I mean, it's just, they make beautiful things. They have a way of seeing the world so simply and elegantly that is really it's hard to replicate, and I've always been a big fan. So I know I wanted something very simple. And then for La Paz, um, you know, I went to the international school in Atlanta for high school, and I had a friend from Bolivia, and I remember sitting at his house, and he, they had these big coffee table books of Bolivian landscape, and I could not believe how beautiful it was. It looked like it looked like Iceland, but it was another planet. It just it's very otherworldly. So the the um, I guess the land really kind of stuck in my mind. And I, I knew that La Paz was surrounded by mountains and hills. It's a very hilly area. So I thought about doing really simplified um, kind of like little mountain peaks. They look like little half arrows. Um, it's sort of like a play on a dot, I would say, like a polka dot pattern. That's what I was talking about earlier. <laughs> um, and I incorporated the two to make something really, really simple, which isn't totally my style. It's actually hard for me to make things very simple. So I'm very proud of it. <laughs> No, it's great. I remember seeing it and thinking like this is such an interesting spin on what you typically do, which is so illustrative and like highly detailed, but such a wonderful spin on that. And I think it's great that you're able to couch that within collections that that do look like what I typically associate with your style, but it still all makes sense. Thank you. I love it. Um, before we take a break, I want to ask you a little bit about libraries because you've been mentioning so much mm -hmm. about books and research. And I think that's one of the things we'll dive into a bit more after the, the break. But I would love to hear about what are sort of the first things you do when you start researching, for example, like if you need to find out about La Paz, what's your sort of process for starting the research? Well, before I had my daughter, <laughs> it was a little easier to spend 10 hours a day not moving with a stack of books. So... Um, you know, these days I do a lot of my research online, mainly because it's just easier for me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for the, from the online perspective, um, the New York Times historical archives are amazing. You can put in any keyword and get, I mean, some of the newer articles you have to pay for to read, but so much interesting stuff. And the style of writing back there is just hilarious. So I find a lot of inspiration there. Um, I do often try to steer clear of design resources. I'm really afraid of, you know, like you're saying that some of the larger companies have these trend books. Mm -hmm. That's the opposite of what I do. 
I'm so afraid of copying somebody or being influenced by somebody during the design process that I, I, you know, I'll take a walk. I'll take a shower. I'll spend time in my brain. I walk around the city and get inspiration. You know, I love, 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 love libraries. So, you know, like I'll pick some random books that get me excited. I'll, I'll make some notes, do some mind maps. And I just have books and books of random keywords and doodles and all kinds of weird stuff that somehow after months of agony come together into a wallpaper pattern. <laughs> I love it. I love all your mind mapping. I feel like <laughs> I wanted to hang out with you and mind map some random ideas. <laughs> um, we're going to take a very quick break and then I will be right back with Katie DD from Grow House Grow. site that sells the pieces and tells the stories of up-and-coming makers. The site has featured over 200 designers and offers limited edition pieces that you can't find anywhere else, along with studio tours, travel guides, and even recipes from the designers. To find out more, head to ofakind.com and sign up for the site's newsletter. Welcome back to After the Jump. I'm your host, Grace Bonney, and today we're talking about inspiration with designer and illustrator Katie Deedy of Grow House Grow. Before the break, we were talking about the early days of your business and the inspiration behind your first or first several wallpaper collections, but I want to jump into some broader issues that we kind of all deal with when trying to stay inspired and find sources of inspiration. Um, and we talked about the library a lot, and you've talked about Cabinet Magazine, which is fantastic, mm -hmm. um, and their talks. What are sort of your top three go-to resources for inspiration, whether they're online or in person? Um, so I, I, have to, I have to admit something. I'm not on Pinterest. <laughs> There's no problem. I feel like I'm the only person on the planet. Um, so I actually have a Tumblr account that I use as like an inspiration platform where I'll kind of post things that get me excited. I do it to show people what I'm interested in, but also it's really to help me remember things that I find that are cool that I want that I want to consider for future, you know, wallpapers or projects. So I use Tumblr a lot, um, and Instagram similarly. It's really helped me. You know, my Instagram isn't really pictures of my kid or my family or whatever. It's mainly photographs of textures, patterns, and colors I see around town when I'm walking around. It's really helped remind me to keep my eyes open, especially being in New York City where there's just inspiration everywhere. It makes you pay attention and document the stuff that's interesting. So I use those a lot. And then um, I mentioned the New York Times archives earlier. Magazine-wise, I love uh, Cabinet. I read like you know everything from like Elle Decor to um, you know Lonnie Mag, things like that. Because I do want to keep up with the trends. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I don't want to say you know when I said earlier that when I'm designing something, I 
kind of close off. I do. But the rest of the year, I'm really interested. I'm following other wallpaper designers. I mean, so many of us are all friends. Um, so, yeah, really everywhere. And then ultimately, I, I it's weird, but and I, I've what if I'm like blinking when I'm going to bed, for example, and I close my eyes, I see a pattern. It's different every time. If I blink my eyes right now, I would see a pattern. It would be nothing in this room. It's nothing I've seen before. It happens every time I do it. It's maybe I have a problem. I don't know. <laughs> maybe just spending so many years concentrating on pattern work, but a lot of it's in my head too. And I think as a designer, you really have to trust yourself and you have to make something that's exciting to you. So if you're just spending time researching things that are trendy or, or things that are cool, that's great. But what is going to get you going and make something really special. And it's all in your head. Mm-hmm. One thing I'm always curious about when talking about designers that are sharing um, sources of inspiration, especially like on Instagram mm-hmm. and or Tumblr or whatever platform you're using is how do you decide what you're going to share versus what you don't share? Because I think sometimes if you're sharing it and not getting to that collection, do you worry about somebody else finding it? Or Yes, I actually do not share everything. That's very true. Um, I have a separate folder in my computer for things that I find that almost made it to Tumblr where I'm like, wait a minute, <laughs> do I really want to share this with everybody? Because I don't want someone else to get the same idea. You know, it's already out there no matter what, but you know, I'm not broadcasting it. Definitely. I think you do have to protect your ideas. Um, I think it's, it's really wise to have a balance. Absolutely. Um, well, let's talk about blocks for a minute. Um, what do you think the biggest blocks for inspiration and creativity are and how do you combat them or well, try to combat them? <laughs> In one word, I would say parenthood. <laughs> but to be specific, that it could apply to everyone. I think stress, responsibility, and self-doubt are like the top three that are just really tough to navigate through. And um, so outside of the design world, I've, I do yoga. It really helps me. I don't really have time to meditate. I wish I did. I think it'd be very helpful. But finding quiet time with yourself where you're just hanging out, you're not thinking about work, you're resting your mind. Um, even if you're doing a million things, the rest of the day is very important. And responsibility, you know, I largely run Grow House Grow on my own. So that with motherhood, I'm married, you know, it's hard to do it all. And I think that you can really get overwhelmed by everything you have to do. And those are the days you just have to plow through and hope for the best. I mean, that's the only, because you're not going to be able to get more sleep than yesterday. The things you have to do aren't going to go away. So they're definitely tough days and you just got to suck it up, do your work. It's your job. It's like going to a nine to five. This is, this is you. I I totally agree. I think I'm so glad you just said it's your job. I think when I was doing research for this show, the thing I kept coming across were all these people talking about how inspiration isn't something that you can just sit back and find. Like it's very much an an active process. Um, And there's a famous writer named Frank Tibolt who said it is an inspiration that leads to action. It's action that leads to inspiration. And I so fully believe that. And I think you're such a great living example of that. Thank you. Um, Let's talk a little bit um, about sort of how you decide to make something happen once you have an inspiration. Um, what's your process from sort of inspiration to final product? Do you sort of, I mean, we know you're mind mapping things, but after you've got the idea, do you come up with like 10 different versions of something and show them to people? Or once you have an idea, do you kind of just run forward with it? I usually kind of run forward with it, but each pattern's a little different. I mean, sometimes I can do a pattern in a day. Sometimes it takes me six months and that could be all in the same collection. It's really either I get it or I don't. And I know it's not right until it's right. So 
Usually I'll do a lot of sketching, drawing, and then uh, put it into Illustrator. I redraw everything in Illustrator by hand so that it still feels handmade. And then Illustrator is fantastic for me because it allows me to line everything perfectly, which is obviously very important with wallpaper. And it's, it's just a process of ha hashing it out. You know, I, I can have, you know, for one pattern, you know, 60 different versions. It's a painful process. Like I said earlier, it's painful. And then I can have something else that I did in an afternoon and it's ready to go. So it, it, it's always different. It depends how complicated the pattern is too. But ultimately, it's, it's using my eyes and spending time with it and feeling, am I ready to show this to people? Am I not? But, uh, but once that's done, then the next step is to send the patterns to the silk screen builder. They shoot and build the screens for me. And then I have it printed upstate um, with a company that's been making wallpaper for over 40 years. So they hand silk screen everything for me. That's... I. It reminds me so much of sort of your process, reminds me of this phrase that I, I've read online a lot before, and it's an abbreviation that's sort of a getting things done slash inspiration go-to, mm -hmm. and the abbreviation is BIC-HOK, which is B-I-C, and then H-O-K, which stands for butt and chair, hands on keyboard, yeah. which I see all the time, and I think it's such a wonderful go-to for topics like this, because I think what you're talking about is essentially the thing, the thing that this phrase is all about is very much just about you cannot sit back and wait. You have to just no. kind of move forward with the steps. Um, when you're facing that wall that's like, mm -hmm. that's unmovable, that's just sitting there that you can't get past, do you have like a person or a place or a thing that you kind of go back to over and over again that helps you push through that? Well, actually, when I'm when I'm in that moment, I'm really not fun to be around. That's for sure. <laughs> <clears throat> um, and it's one of the few times I'll say that I am like just an awful person. <laughs> I'm cranky and angry, and I'm so mad at myself. So, um, honestly, the only thing that helps me through it is is not stopping, mm -hmm. and then having my husband not get mad at me for being a jerk. <laughs> like, <laughs> as long as he can stay cool. He's the rock, you know what I mean? And, um, you know, he's he has he plays no part in my business other than the fact that we live together. But I need him for that moral support during those times. And I think that's something where, you know, it's OK to talk to people about your problems. <laughs> and, uh, you know, also Jill Malek, who does designs wallpaper here in Brooklyn, She's become a great friend of mine. We both have kids. We started our companies around the same time. And I know that I cannot talk to her for two months and then send her a text in the middle of the night being like, oh, my God, I'm going crazy. Why did we do that? Why are we doing this? This is like nuts. <laughs> um, so honestly, it's mainly just sitting with myself and depending on a couple of really close friends and family to deal with me through mm -hmm. the tough times. Um, otherwise, I just trust my history with stories. You have to trust yourself when you're looking at something. An artist has to know when to stop. It's never going to be perfect. That's it's very true. Um, I want to talk a little bit about social media because you're mentioning you're using Tumblr and Instagram, mm -hmm. not so much with the Pinterest, but that's all right. Um, what do you feel are sort of the pros and cons of digital inspiration? Because my greater concern with that is always like we're pulling from the same well, like will things start to feel the same? What is your take on that? I kind of agree. I think especially trend-wise, um, it's easy to be overly influenced by the things we're seeing on social media. Um, I think, luckily, two people can look at the same picture and get very different inspirations from it. Um, that's kind of the saving grace. But <clears throat> I do kind of worry about that. And I think that's where it's important to not rely entirely on that. I think it's great to go for like some cursory information you know, oh, I love that color, or I love the shape of that line. But then you have to take the 10, 20 extra steps to make it yours. Otherwise, it's, it's not your art. 
And I love that you keep mentioning the idea of like the research you're doing isn't just like visual imagery. You're not just scanning Google images. You're actually reading like text and articles mm-hmm. and things because that's got to be informing your work as oh, much as the imagery. Definitely. It's kind of like, you know, when I read a book and I've already seen the movie, it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I heard, you know, I, my neighbor left Twilight downstairs because <clears throat> they were moving and I, I haven't seen Twilight, by the way. But I know the character, I know the actors in it. And so I picked it up and I was like, ah, oh, you know what? I don't have anything to read. I'm just going to read this. And I just keep seeing their, their faces. Like, the, what's her name? Bella. Oh, whatever. The act- I may have been at the opening of it. In New York. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a great book and everyone will love it. <laughs> but I, I just can't. Or it's like, perfect. no, wait, Lord of the Rings. One of my favorite books of all time or trilogies. I saw the movies. I tried to reread Lord of the Rings. Horrible. Horrible. Elijah Wood, get the F out of my head. <laughs> I want to see Frodo. <laughs> so, you know, I, I'm off on some crazy tangent. <laughs> um, but basically, it's taking, you know, seeing things that excite you, create a library that is interesting to you, but don't let that necessarily inform the final product. Well, I think what's what you're describing right now and something you've been describing, maybe not intentionally, is that you're always taking things like two and three steps further. You're taking an idea, whether it's like the mountainous landscapes of Bolivia or like an actual scientist. And then you're like researching deeper into that and like Mm -hmm. what informed that person? What is that landscape all about? What does it mean to these people? And then you're taking it a step or two further. It reminds me of this thing I remember ages ago when the first ready-made, not ready-made, renegade craft fair started in New York. And it was like, it was the pre put a bird on it phase, but it was exactly what was happening, Mm -hmm. which was just people sort of simply slick screening things. And I happened to be interviewing Todd Oldham for the blog and that conversation came up and he said, you know, I think there's nothing wrong with everyone screen printing something, even if it all looks the same, it's great that people are trying, but he was like, here's my beef with it. Like take it two or three steps further, like do a two or three part silk screen, just something like take those second and third steps. And I feel like with inspiration, that's always the missing piece between creating something that becomes one of a group of something happening versus creating something that stands out from that group. Yes, and it's challenging. I think that's where people kind of, I think that's why people don't, not people, I think that's why some people may not take it to the next step because it's not an easy process necessarily. It doesn't come easy. Even to people where it seems like it comes easy, it doesn't always. So that's where you have to really love what you're doing. And I feel, you know, that the, hard, the one thing, the hardest thing for me, the one thing I've learned with my business, truly, is in the moments where you think everything is horrible and black and death and nothing is going anywhere and you're not making any progress, is I love what I'm doing regardless. So I keep going. I get through the darkness. And oftentimes there's a lot of darkness. But It's about taking the extra steps and enjoying the process of it. If you're not enjoying it, what are you doing? Get a different job. Do something different. Life is short. Don't waste your time. Good note to end on. So before we go, I have some quick rapid fire questions for you. So get ready. They're very easy. (laughs) The first one is, what's your favorite website right now? Otherwise known as what's the first thing that you load in the morning? Oh, no. I have to admit this. Honestly. Oh, God. Facebook. (laughs) No. (laughs) Nothing wrong with Facebook. The majority of people living in the world are on Facebook. I know. It's a little creepy to think about. I don't have a social life. I have a four-year-old. I live vicariously through everyone's (laughs) feeds. Um, I always think back. The second question is about sort of that what would so-and-so do phrase that people go back to all the time. Who is the person that you look up to when time is tough? Like, what do you think to yourself? Like, what would this person do? Like, it's your guiding person. My mom. Definitely, because she came from Cuba as a child, 
as a refugee. English is her second language, but she is an expert in language now. She's spoken at the TED conference at the White House. She taught herself. She became a professional storyteller because she wanted to in Georgia and made a living at it and decided to write children's books and did it and has won all kinds of awards and is a professional at these, this crazy job that nobody does. Who's a storyteller? You know, my mom. (laughs) So my mom, definitely. That's wonderful. Um, What's a brand that you can't get enough of? Ooh, could be anything. Food, clothing, design. Um, Okay, this is lame because I'm have I think I need more coffee. I love Tom's, (laughs) my favorite toothpaste and deodorant. (laughs) Oh, I'm thinking shoes. That's good that you were. I was thinking. I was thinking. um, Yeah, like beauty products. Yes, the very that's, natural. That's a bad answer, but that's all I got right now. No, it's not. I think it's good. Um, what's your favorite Instagram feed or trend? Design sponge. <laughs> no, <laughs> you have to give a real answer. <laughs> um, I really like, there's a woman named Justina Black, Blackley, Blackney? Mm-hmm. If I'm, Blakely or Black, Bla- yeah, something like I'm, that. Sorry, if, uh, Justina, if you're listening. But she does these really, she just does beautiful photography. And she was doing a lot of these fl- um, florals and plants on black that were stunning and I don't want to admit maybe inspiring something down the road from Grow House Grow. Um, just, yeah, she's got a great eye. So I, I am always happy when I see something on my feed from her. Last one. What is a trend, style, designer, brand, something that you hope makes it big this year? Um, you know, it's probably because of a personal connection, but I really love Avery Thatcher's Juju Papers. Um, not only is she awesome, but her work is just really hers. It's and fresh. It's, it's super so fresh. fresh. Super fresh. It's got old. It's new. It feels now, but has like a history to it. And she's a great person. I have to say Juju Papers. Totally agree. Katie, thanks so much for being here. Um, where can everybody find you online if they want to get in touch? Um, growhousegrow.com. Perfect. Uh, thanks all of you for listening. And I want to end the show with a thought from composer John Cage, who said, begin anywhere. I think today's show really boils down to the idea of not being afraid to start being inspired from the moment you wake up. Whether you're taking photographs of your morning walk or flipping through photo albums at home, inspiration is everywhere. And the more that you can take time out of your day to pay attention, the more likely you'll be to discover an idea that sets you apart and sets you on your way toward creating something special and unique. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again next Thursday. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.